Miami in the early 60s. The pink flamingos were real. The living was easy breezy. It was Camelot with a twist of lime. I felt like it was the prime, Miami's prime. We had everything we wanted. We had sunshine, we had the beaches, we had good weather, you had fruit. We could go out as kids and eat off the land all day. By 1962, the Cold War was boiling over. But in Miami, there were more important things. The beach, dog tracks, nightlife, shopping on the Miracle Mile, lunch at Wolfie's, and what would be number one this week on Tiger Radio. Here comes the Big Al in Miami in song number one. Here comes the good luck charm. I'm Paul George, born in Miami, raised in Miami, went away, came back in the 1980s. I'm an historian, and I, I teach history at uh, Miami-Dade College Wilson campus. In 1962, I uh, enrolled in the University of Miami for my last two years of school, so I was uh, 19 years of age, and, you know, the usual sociable things, went to football games in the Orange Bowl, had a girlfriend, and, and then suddenly uh, I remember watching television, I believe it was a Tuesday, October 22nd, 1962, when President Kennedy came on. We had been forewarned that the president was going to make a major address that night. Within the past week, unmistakable evidence has established the fact that a series of offensive missile sites is now in preparation on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. I don't think that any city in the world was impacted as heavily by that crisis as Miami. Overnight, South Florida's carefree tropical paradise... You know, we were almost at ground zero in this whole thing. ...found itself right in the crosshairs of the Cold War. Had a girlfriend. Uh, she was pretty emotional about it. You know, I wish we could be together. You know, the end of the world might be looming and stuff like that. And in Miami in the fall of 62, the military mobilization wasn't just in the news. It was right outside your front door. There was a real fear in the city at that time. 19-year-old Serge Martinez could hear the rumbling. Uh, especially on 27th Avenue, because we were the ones watching this buildup of trucks, the tanks, uh, soldiers coming down the uh, one of the main streets in Miami. Martinez's nearby seminary school temporarily closed when the Good Fathers weren't sure if their future priests would have a future. That was amazing. We had never seen tanks come down 27th Avenue. Do not travel unnecessarily. The Department of Defense will be using our roads and highways for transport purposes. There was a man standing next to me, and, and I'll never forget it. He was scared. He says, I, I fought in the Korean War, and, and I was never so scared as I, was, as I am right now because this is our country that these missiles could start blowing up. I can remember many convoys and uh, the troops actually, you know, staying in the school gym. This was Miami Palmetto. Tom Thompson was a teenager in South Miami at the time. I was in 11th grade, and I can remember it was stressful. And um, the conversation was always, we're 90 miles away. You know, we're, if anything happens, we're going to be the first ones to get it. I remember, you know, how much the community changed and how quickly uh, people rushed to the stores. It was a Publix market, and most of that food was gone. Have you ever seen it this busy? It is rare that I have seen the mobs that have come into our stores. Uh, people are buying like food is going out of style, uh, primarily because of this Cuban crisis and our proximity to the Cuban situation. 
John Kennedy, President Kennedy, ordered a blockade, which in many ways can be interpreted as an act of war. The United States arrived at the decision for an arms blockade after studying reconnaissance photographs made with high-powered cameras from planes flying several miles from the Cuban coast. The U.S. threw up a steel fence prepared to stop any vessel carrying materials of war. What will happen when those vessels are close to where our blockading ships are, which were close to the Cuban coastline? As dramatic a movie as you can imagine were those couple of days before we knew what the Soviets were going to do. My wife Penny and I were married just three months before that. Recent UM grad Dan Chandler was a DJ playing big band music at WKAT on the beach. We were surrounded by media talking about the end of the world. And I personally went out to a pawn shop on Flagler Street and got myself a pistol and a box of you know, shells. And uh, I was a sailor. I knew how to sail. We lived about three blocks walk from Dinner Key Marina. And we stocked up on food in our home. And I got a bolt cutter. And our plan was to take the food, take the gun, take the bolt cutter, go to Dinner Key, steal a sailboat, and get out of there and head toward the islands. It's all we could do. It's all we could think of. In Dade County, approximately 160 buildings uh, with uh, fallout protection uh, meeting the criteria of which uh, 51 has uh, been licensed by the owners to be used as fallout shelters. In our neighborhood, one person immediately went and built a bomb shelter. I was uh, sacking groceries at an A&P grocery store, 16 years old, and I was on a break and they had a television available, black and white of course. President Kennedy was on the television screen. Miami native Charles Carter quickly went from grocery carts to missile launchers. The next morning went down to the recruiter's office and told him I was ready to join. And to my surprise, after basic training, my orders read Miami, Florida. (laughs) The Nike Hercules unit that I served in was deployed to four different missile sites around Miami and Homestead. Carter was just one of hundreds of GIs who rushed to build a missile defense shield around South Florida. Uh, As I arrived in Miami, I passed right on by the neighborhood I grew up in on my way to the Everglades, where I lived in a tent for two and a half years. Portable radios were kind of the rage then, and although you weren't supposed to have them in school, people had them. You know, they'd go into the restroom and they'd come back, well, the Russian ship is, you know, this far away from the blockade, and, uh, you know, think about, well, you know, it's going to come down soon, whatever's going to happen. This is Radio Moscow. Premier Khrushchev has sent a message to President Kennedy today. The Soviet government has ordered the dismantling of weapons in Cuba as well as their crating and return to the Soviet Union. They blinked. The Soviet ships that were bound for Cuba had, when they got a little bit closer to Cuba, had turned around. We all breathe a sigh of relief, but there's still big questions, you know, what's going to happen to the missiles. And we never did trust that it was all over until a month or two months later. And I just know from my study of the situation how close we were to a nuclear Armageddon. We, we weren't so naive anymore as to think we were isolated from the rest of the world and we were just living a good life. With troop buildup, with the missile, realizing that uh, it was a tense world, we were part of all this. I, I think we lost our naivety at that point. 